Anybody out there? Can you hear the sounds? Is there anybody listening? Welcome, folks, to the Simber Dialogues. I'm your host, Sukanya. And your other host, Daryl. Oh. What's going on, Daryl? I don't know. Let's talk about it. It's been, what, two weeks since we recorded our last episode, 007? Yes, we are. We promised we were not being lazy asses, but, you know, life oh. happens. And I'm sure life is happening to a lot of people all over this country and the world the, in the last two weeks. The... The concept I was talking about previously about time being dilated in 2020, it feels like so much shit has happened since our last episode. Like, the U.S. is on fire. Like, it's just... Quite literally. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, we'll get to that. Uh, but how are you? I am mm. very... Disturbed. Disturbed is the right word, and yeah. shaken, and tired, uh, all three at the same time. So in a way, our last episode kind of foreshadowed where we would be at for 008. How did it foreshadow? Shaken, not stirred. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I certainly share your sentiments. But hopefully by the end of this episode, we, along with our audience members, will be a little more calmed down and hopefully um, a little more positive for things going forward. One can hope. That's what I hope for. All right. So we didn't watch too much film in the past two weeks, but we did introduce you to the Bourne films. I popped my cherry for the Bourne trilogy. Particularly just the trilogy, not four and five. Yeah. It's kind of like but, we well, were talking about Star Wars. Well, you know, anytime you talk about the Bourne movie, that's always the trilogy people talk about. They really don't care about the last two. They don't Bourne. exist. Yeah, it's like, oh, what? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I I obviously know about the Bourne films. And, you know, I, I grew up uh, hearing about them. I knew there were books that existed and actually i started reading a little bit of the book i think when i was in first one yes the ninth grade or something i i think i was i was reading it um but i didn't really get as you know into it i wasn't as engaged so i stopped but i never really watched the movies because i wasn't much of an action movie fan but it's changed recently. I think I've I've really gotten into a lot of uh, the action movies. And I think I have to kind of give credit to my martial arts training uh-huh. for this because I understood the nuances of fight choreography and fighting and what goes into it. And it opened up this new level of appreciation for these um, action-driven movies. Can I give a shout-out here? Sure. Cameo Nelson. Yes, that's where we started our karate training. You did. I started when I was five, and then I forgot about <laughs> it for 20 years. And then you came back to it, and you... It, did you get your yellow belt, or you didn't? You I, didn't get your yellow belt. Didn't I not? No, you did not. I got my yellow Shit. belt. <laughs> he was trying to get you on the... He thought the you could compete pretty yes. quickly, and... 
you probably yeah. wasn't wrong because that was first studio and now you're at this current studio and they're pretty much saying a lot of the same things it's like yeah. you're progressing very fast and yes and uh currently i'm doing taekwondo uh which is not too far off from karate but uh it's more i guess kicks linear kicks it's less of the flow very stylistic yes and way. and it's very enjoyable i i love it and but i think being around a lot of martial artists right now actually has opened up this level of appreciation for these kind of movies especially where there there is uh fight choreography like you know i cannot picture myself watching john wick hmm. in a movie theater like that would not have been me five years ago no. but we watched right. about the third one right yes but and then we watched the first and second i think uh at home you know after we yeah. watched the third one um but I, I can guarantee you that five years ago, that would have made me, like, uh, my skin would have crawled just thinking about it. But now it's like, yeah, I still get a little grossed out sometimes, but it's still... You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, just, I just feel it. Like, you know, every time a punch comes, I feel like, oh, block, kick, block, you know. So it's, it's really exciting now. And I think now I am much more into these kind of films. So speaking of which... The Bourne Trilogy. Uh, I know you had mentioned before when we were watching the Bond films that, uh, especially the later Bond Going films. Going from Goldeneye to the how, Casino Royale. Like how uh, the cinematography very much has been inspired by... In fight choreography. And fight choreography yes. uh, from the Bourne Trilogy. And obviously I didn't have any reference point back then because I didn't watch the Bourne films, but... Uh, last week when we watched it, I could see how a lot of these recent action movies are very much inspired from uh, the Bourne uh, movies. Yeah, I mean, I, maybe I'm exaggerating, but the Bourne trilogy, the specifically the first Bourne film, is like the godfather of gang movies, gang films. Like, so many movies started to model. Gang at, movies? Like Godfather with oh, yeah, the mobster. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 the Godfather. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So many movies after that, yeah. modeled after that. Yeah. Same with the Bourne movies. So yep. many action movies pretty much did the same thing. They copycatted. Mm -hmm. And some did it very well, some not so well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I was glad that you were able to see exactly what I was referring to, especially in, like, Casino Royale mm -hmm. and how much more gritty the action sequences were. You know, the other thing is that, you know, Matt Damon is a very good actor as well. He's very convincing in his in his role. I mean, imagine if that was played by, I don't know, Tom Cruise. That would not have been... I mean, I, I have seen all the Mission Impossible movies, and I felt... He's too over the top. Yeah, exactly. It's just too... It's like very intense. That's, yes. He doesn't have, like, different levels so you, you can't really relate to him like here i feel in the board movies there were certain moments where you actually had this connection with uh jason Bourne. it's like you, different emotional beats yeah to the character yeah it's i felt a, yeah. you know especially in the older bond movies when we watched i felt that emotional aspect missing uh from the character and it was, it was subtle yes but it was there later on you know when uh, uh for casino royal we definitely saw uh daniel craig mm -hmm. having those play of emotions and you could see it oh and eva green was dying in the elevator yes yes you could see it and but uh i mean the bond movies definitely lacked that before that i would say even with the whole pierce Brosnan thing it was 
not there at all. Like cartoonish, very yeah. cartoonish. Yeah, and... yeah. But you could you could definitely say with the Born Born trilogy, it was it was de- it was more intense acting wise. Yeah. Well, one thing I didn't realize, but um, if for, people are wondering why the later Born films are so shit. Uh, the first three were loosely based off the books, I guess. I don't know how much it was related, but as far as in title-wise, the first three movies were also the only books that Robert Ludlum actually wrote. And I'm sure they pulled a lot of random elements. It sounds like they mixed up the story quite a bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, those books, uh, consequently, were also the most highly regarded books out of the series. And then later on, I think his books got franchised out to other authors and they just ran the story dry and mm-hmm. also a, a very interesting thing i don't know if you noticed this but in uh the bond movies it was always like the british intelligence agency was um the mi mi6 six agency was very like you know they were the heroes they never did anything wrong you know but for the jason bourne movies it was the villain was the CIA. Yes. You know, so it was it was a very dark um, twist on like you know how your support system is the one who's wanting you dead. People that you work for are wanting you dead. What was really wild is watching these movies again. This was post nine eleven. However, this is pre the Snowden revelations all like uh, NSA and CIA spying and whatnot, even though in these movies they were utilizing many of those same technologies. And I'm sure that was partially by accident. I can't imagine they had access to the knowledge that, like for the filmmakers, I mean. Mm-hmm. Well, fact it, that, I, I, I don't mean, think, I don't think, I don't think they had access to the actual information, but you can guess, yes. you know, what, what mode of <laughs> surveillance they're very equipment well they're going to use yeah and yeah. hollywood is very much sometimes the reflection of uh what it goes on behind the scenes in these agencies you see like you know you see all these um cool war movies and stuff you see all these weapons being used and these tactics being used they are actual military tactics yes. that people use and they get inspired by that and use it in the movie so it's it is well, actually a reflection. actually speaking of that there's here's a little dirty little secret Anytime you see a war movie or an action film where they are featuring current state-of-the-art like military equipment, that's not like uh, the film studios borrowing that just with no strings attached. Mm-hmm. Usually they're strict, almost like propaganda-like oh, yeah. strings attached to this. If we're going to let you feature this, then you can't, usually they'll say you can't make America look like it's in a bad, in a bad light. Or even if there's something bad you need to say, you need to really soften the blow image wise and also it's it's a way of marketing your uh weapons as well because propaganda no but it's also marketing for instance i'm saying there are a lot of other countries that buy off Mm -hmm. uh uh, you know these aircrafts and these weapons from the american military Mm -hmm. so that's almost like a advertising platform for them you have that and it's also a great recruiting tool yes because who watches a lot of these action movies big Mm -hmm. budget action films Young boys, and they want to be that badass soldier. Especially in the rural areas where they uh, sign up for the military. Absolutely, and we've talked about this before as well. 
you know, where, especially in the rural areas where, you know, the future is very bleak. Opportunities are very limited. Yeah. This is the way for them to get out and be a badass. You know, those you can be a... fucking ads. You've seen those ads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. They're some of the worst propaganda-ridden pieces of media I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Go well, proud. Be a soldier. Mm-hmm. Serve your country. Actually, fun thing. One of my friends um, who was in the Marines, uh, you know, the one that comes to our studio. Anyways, uh, he was saying the way they do the recruiting, you know, you can tell when they are in need of uh, soldiers. They're going to do these very patriotic ads like you know what are you doing for this country you know come join us and we will give you this purpose and you'll have all these benefits you know that's the time when they're really looking for people and even when you're actually going to a recruiter this is a fun story if you're going to a recruiter and they are desperately in need of butter your ass oh my god they will tell you all these wonderful things that happens in the military and how you have the sense of camaraderie and you get so many benefits and they would never highlight on the <laughs> on the atrocities of war on you know what you have to like the hell weeks no. and stuff they would never talk about that oh the hell weeks are well aware that's not the th- that's not the dirty but they secret. wouldn't tell you exactly what you go through even for the marine uh, marine corps like with the training that you have to go yeah. through they will not tell you that you you will actually break bones and you will have fractures and you will probably be dehydrated no. they will never tell no, you that. they don't advertise that but i think that's almost a well-known fact by this point with youtube and people sharing their st- i don't think that's the secret yeah but what needs to be emphasized more is the mental damage that you undergo when you do commit atrocities abroad whether it's like blowing a children in the face with the, your m16 or uh seeing your comrades die in act or like a IED explosion. Mm-hmm. Uh, that stuff, I think, is completely. We'll just tidy that away into the closet, and mm-hmm. hopefully, you don't have to even know about that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. The other stuff, that's just toughness. It's like, oh yeah, I can complete boot camp with shattered shin bones. Yeah. Like that's just being a badass. Yeah. That just, I mean, if anything, that just helps the recruitment process. And you know the the saddest thing is that if you have. A bachelor's degree, you're automatically uh, considered for all these officer positions. Yep. Even if you don't have the skills required, no. you're automatically considered for them. It's these young people, right? Like straight out of high school, joining the military are the ones that are used as pawns. They're the ones who are sent to all these combat regions and mm-hmm. they're in active combat. Uh, while these officers are, you know, just sending out commands and orders and strategizing. But people who are actually putting their lives out there are the very innocent, gullible young children. Yeah. And the ones that often or unfortunately see combat are probably coming back completely fucked in the head. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, born. The born <laughs> movies. We got a little detail. This is actually somewhat relevant to what happened in the Bourne movies. I don't think this is a spoiler by now, if you're listening. Spoiler alert if you haven't watched the Bourne movies. But this is pretty much the whole trauma that Jason Bourne's going through. He's having PTSD memories of people that he previously murdered. He doesn't know who they are, but he knows he did it. And he knows he's this 
horrible person, he doesn't want to be that anymore. And I think uh, the amnesia is the way of coping with all the you know evil things that he's done so far. It's a way of you know being normal again. Yeah. Maybe it's a form of like deprogramming mm-hmm. what they did to him when he initially joined. He do find out that he volunteered, but we didn't know much about what his military career looked like. We don't know what the circumstances were there. Maybe but they... he volunteered only on one given fact that his missions would save American lives. Yes, propaganda again. Yeah. Shit's fucked up. I mean, you can do a lot of mental gymnastics to prove that whatever fucked up shit, you know, the military does is to save American lives. Uh, but is it actually saving American lives uh, in the forefront? No. Nope. Yeah, I don't know. It's exhausting. It's uh, it's like that ever-going debate of... I mean, you have the anti-war protesters versus the Hawks that are all about gung-ho about sending fucking F-6s or all these military jets. I don't even think F-6. That's a that's a Nikon camera. <laughs> all these high-powered military jets where they're dropping tons of thousands of bombs on foreign countries of, to people whose faces we'll never see, never know, never know their circumstances. We'll just blow them into oblivion. It's this constant debate. Well, it's for our safety. What did a freaking five-year-old kid in Afghanistan ever do to no. an American? How can you justify that? There's no way to justify it, but as we will get to later with George Floyd, um, it's actually quite, it's been quite disgusting seeing a lot of the protests and how the police have reacted and seeing all the apologists justifying even the the atrocities committed by the police, even though those pale in comparison to what we do in the Middle East and elsewhere. Um, just the final, uh, we were talking before about the military and soldiers being drafted or volunteering at the ages of 18 and how powerful it could be as if we just raised that sign-up age to 25 or if you really want to sign up, that they can't go to war until the until age of they life. are twenty. Yeah, I mean, yeah. absolutely. I feel like they should be able to sign up if they want to at eighteen, but they should, uh, you know, be domestic for for now and be under training where they can be in the national guard or you know they can do uh, more like administrative kind of stuff. They can still train. They can do you know uh, stuff that is not fatal. And once they are 25, that's when they can get deployed to, you know, active war zones. Hey, here's another thought. What if we, we always talk about soldiers getting their GI Bill after they sign up? What if they got the GI Bill before they actually have to join the military? Like they sign up. It's pretty much an eight year commitment. You go to school for four years and then you serve the military for four years after you get your college degree. I know they have ROTC. It's kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. But what if that became more of a mainstream? But the, the only thing is that what happens if they don't want to do it after four years? They're in a contract. They have to. Like That would be part of the deal. I mean, you'd probably get a lot of people signing up just so they don't have college debt afterwards. Mm-hmm. Probably have a lot of officers and people that would be going into the Navy and Air Force. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
Actually, now that I'm thinking about that, it'd still be a little fucked up. It's like, why not just pay for people's college so they don't have to join the military? Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, I think know. you should you should be able to, you know, join the military, get your training, whatever kind of training you want. And when you're 25, that's when you can be sent to these war zones can mm-hmm. be deployed to these war zones and i don't even think we should have war zones to begin with i think this is like the stupidest thing ever uh especially in you know the 21st century yeah. where diplomatic relations have become so much better uh we we don't need to be dropping bombs on people no. there are, there are other ways to deal with this um psychology has come so far too it shouldn't be too hard to convince another population that we're not these cartoonish villains and yeah. vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not that cut and dry. It's not like back in the day where it's uh, the British versus the Nazis or something like that. And even in that case, it's not still not that cut and dry. Yeah. And, and you know, we have discussed this before, DJ. Imagine going in, imagine like, for instance, say in the U.S., if we have, you know, how we react to, uh, Sharia law, right? Mm-hmm. We react to people uh, coming in from another country and trying to force a certain way of living on everyone else. And how we react to that, we are like, absolutely not. That's like taking my rights away. We cannot do that. We cannot have that here. But that is exactly what the U.S. is doing in those countries. They are going in and trying to establish democracy, which we understand is a good thing. Absolutely, it's a good thing, but they are not ready for that. The country isn't ready for that. It's not democracy either if it's forced. Exactly. It's not. That's not how it works. So the country is not ready for it. They are not accepting it, and you are trying to force it on them. Yeah. I think if there if there got to be a change, the change has to come from within. The people have to build that mindset of change. We externally cannot go and change a system. No, and it doesn't help. This additional fact of the CIA and the U.S. government tampering with governments down in South America and Central America and uh, various African nations and even in the Middle East where we essentially assassinate a leader or take them out of power, uh, push a puppet leader uh, as, their op- uh, as opposition during an election, whatever it is, we tamper so much with the governments of these areas, like no fucking wonder the people become very uh, restless with their government and why the society doesn't uh, go forward in a very stable way. Mm-hmm. They don't trust their government. I can just imagine, imagine if the Russians were able to, oh, well, I guess, never mind, I'm going to feed into the propaganda, but imagine if the Russians could actually instill a puppet leader in the U.S., an actual puppet leader, not just feeding some hate trolls on Facebook, but mm-hmm. like they instilled one and they financially backed them and mm-hmm. got them in with complete puppet control powers. The American citizens would not stand for that. Mm-hmm. And this would look very much like a failed state. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So. Well, I, I just hope, you know, how you're having a lot of protests about law enforcement. I feel... American people should become more aware 
and active on this front of how we should not be going into these countries and trying to change regimes and trying to establish new governments and trying to change the way the way yeah. of life for them because that is not how democracy works no i even if we had protests at half the scale that we have right now directed towards anti-war movements we would probably see some progress it's amazing how one corrupt crop corrupt crop cop <laughs> can inflame an entire nation but we can for decades blow up entire countries hundreds of thousands of civilians dead and barely a peep i know there have been protests in the past and they just kind of died off because we moved on to the next thing and maybe it's just a proximity problem it's, it's harder. not just that it's also covered under the veil of patriotism yeah. is covered under the veil of like america's the best we are doing we are the exemplary country we are going in and doing this thing because of democracy we believe in liberty justice equality this is what we do that's when people get jaded you know they yeah. they are like uh i don't know i mean i guess we are doing the right thing we also i think there's another bit here it's not just that but the media's role and what they decide to cover and how they decide to cover it. We saw this firsthand with like the New York Times with uh, the typhoon in West Bengal and how they... It's the cyclone. The cyclone, sorry. But it brought a lot of water and rain, so it's like a typhoon. Mm, a Cy typhoon is only in the Pacific Ocean. It's a large body of wind spiraling around carrying large amounts of water with it and inundating the community in which it lands. Is that fair? Yes. All right. That's besides the point. My argument was trying to be, trying to say how the media decide to portray the events of the world and what they decide to put on the cover page versus what they decide to bury on page seven or eight. Mm -hmm. And seeing how quickly people will, and I'm guilty of this as well, base their entire opinion on a story based off headlines they see scrolling through Facebook, I'm sure there's a lot of people that do the same exact thing with their newspaper. Mm -hmm. They'll just read maybe the front couple headlines, maybe a couple paragraphs from the headlines. But either way, that shit had been happening with all of the stuff that's been happening abroad. Yep. The wars, the, the fact that we overthrew uh, Gaddafi, I don't remember if that was actually on the front page or not, but the events leading up to it, I can guarantee you, were not front page material for months. Uh, there was a fairly strong anti-war movement during the Bush years, but that just kind of died off once Obama got in office. It's just how, I, I don't know why the media does this. Maybe it's just the fact that people buy certain content more. They get enraged more about more local things. It's when their own rights are being taken away. Yeah. That's when they are more concerned. Yeah. I mean, you see this a lot, but I, I think true compassion and empathy has to extend beyond what just affects you personally and trying to, I, I, I don't know, I, I've, I've spent the better part of the last two years being really obsessed with American imperialism and foreign, our foreign policy, and it's hard to get as enraged about other issues when that's 
so fucking clear in my mind of what atrocities are going on by our own hand of the military mm-hmm. abroad. And I'm not saying not all military members are bad. I'm not going to say uh, ASAB. ASAB. All soldiers are bastards. I'm not going to say that. But the system, the system in which it functions, the missions that they decide to carry out, those are overall very bad and on many fronts. Um, but that can probably be for another episode. We can really dig into that. Yep. Um, but anyway, just a quick thought that I had from the last week, if you don't mind me sharing. Sure. I, I've noticed, and this is something I remember taking from my critical thinking class about uh, one of the major fallacies was appeal to the emotion, appeal to emotion. And I've noticed there's a lot of people that argue from that point of view, and I can't take it seriously. Whether they'll use crying tactics, they'll start to tear up. I saw Cory Booker and Kamala Harris talking about the lynching bill. They were crying, and maybe justifiably so. But they weren't actually addressing the counterpoints. They were just crying and saying, how dare you? Mm-hmm. Um, you had what, Greta Thunberg was pretty much crying at the UN. And I see this tactic used a lot more on one side than I do on the other. But it's just so frustrating. If you have counterpoints to an argument and their response is just anger or emotion, like we get nowhere. But you know, we have used emotion for a long time to um, get people uh, instigated, motivated, enraged. Um, yeah. you, see, you see, you know, it has happened uh, you know, with all all the leaders, if you think about it, they have in their speeches, some way or the other, have shown certain emotions to get uh, the support of their followers. And I feel if you see someone crying over an issue that's uh, for their supporters, it kind of uh, comes through as, I'm truly passionate about this, and that's why I cannot control my emotions, but it's expected if you are a leader, if you are in a position where you can make an actual change, you will keep the emotion aside and you would m- focus more on facts, uh, on reasoning, on uh, you know uh, arguments to make sure that certain policies are being uh, you know uh, imposed, so certain policies are being acted on. But a lot of this is just buying brownie points mm-hmm. uh, from their followers, from the media. That's it. It's a, it's a show. It's uh, if it's like a mother of somebody's kid who just died, and they were crying live. That's something I could buy. But when I see these corrupt assholes on TV, on C-SPAN and elsewhere, tearing up during key moments, like they actually care. Maybe they do care. Maybe I'm not being charitable enough. But knowing, like Kamala's, and for instance, uh, both of us are well aware of her political history. Her record on criminal justice is a joke. Um, she's lied about smoking weed. She's laughed about it, even though we've had thousands of black people incarcerated. And then all of a sudden, she's super caring about black issues or... When she gave that whole fucking impassioned speech during one of the debates against Joe Biden and the busing, 
segregation policy. And then all of a sudden she gives impassioned support to Joe Biden. It's like, it's so clear the frauds that these people are, but then they still can use this crying tactic to encourage support. Mm. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not against this. I'm not, I will say I'm not against this as a tactic, but I would hope that two things are met. Evidence is being brought up still, and that counterpoints are addressed. Like, don't just leave it there. Don't just tear up, shame the other person. Don't do that. Uh, like, particularly for this lynching bill. I haven't dug too much into it, but at least what I saw the initial exchange with Rand Paul, Kamala Harris, and Cory Booker, his main concern wasn't necessarily that we have a lynching bill. He was for that. But it sounded like the, the base of this bill is comparable to mandatory minimums, which, if you're aware of those, it's like, Every they had certain key problems, criminal problems uh, during like the 90s. In each, say, if you got busted for this, you would get at least a minimum like five or ten years. So I think they were trying to do this with lynching. Mm-hmm. And there's different degrees of lynching, I guess, like mob conspiracy lynching and uh, whatnot, whatever. His main concern was that the threshold was too low, that some apparently some bruising. Could consist as lynching, or even if you had a couple people that maybe said something to someone, and then they said, "Well, they're conspiring to lynch me," then they can get in trouble. Mm-hmm. That this would create another sort of mandatory minimum problem. Mm-hmm. Good or bad, you can disagree with it. I just listening to that for what it was, I thought it was at least a fair point to bring up. And if it was completely absurd, then that would have been a good time just to bring up the counter evidence, would it not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, they started crying. They just gave an impassioned speech appealing to emotion. And I, I, I don't know. Call me whatever. It, it just rubs me the wrong way. Especially if it's not someone coming. It doesn't seem like they're coming with bad faith on this. And given the, the bad history of mandatory minimums, it seems like a legitimate question to bring up. And if there's a legitimate reason not to consider that into the bill, talk about that. But otherwise, don't don't do this fake crying shit, please. You know, it's it's just a uh, um, getting some uh, much needed screen time with the media. Yeah. And then people would be like, "Look how passionate these people are about these issues." And they were even saying it was like a timing thing. They wanted to do it on the day of like the memorial for George Floyd or whatever. And as if having that passed on the same day, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it wasn't for George Floyd, but it was supposed to be a memorial the same day. They wanted to get it passed that day. And again, as far as I'm concerned, if that was a simple thing to address, just add the shit into the bill. Add that extra bits into the bill. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Um, I agree. But uh, second fallacy I want to bring up, all statements. Yeah. ACAB. I learned what ACAB meant this past week. All cops are bastards. I guess I'm not far left enough. But uh, one thing, another thing my uh, philosophy professor told me was uh, all statements are incredibly difficult to substantiate, so it's best just not to use them. Mm-hmm. At best, use the phrase most, but MCAB wouldn't work as well as ACAB. 
just by its very nature, you can't, if you say all things are anything, it's very hard to argue that case. Like if you're in a law room and you're arguing this to a judge, good fucking luck. Mm-hmm. But again, these are not probably made by thoughtful people. It's more, it's made by angry people mm-hmm. who are mad at a problem and they want to categorize the whole thing as evil. So yeah. this, is, this is what happens when you're not being uh, reasonable enough. Yeah, I, I agree with the sentiment. I understand the anger. I share much of that anger. Um, are many cops bastards? Very well likely. I mean, there's too many instances of per- police brutality and corruption and what you just talked told me about the dirty does or dirty 30 yeah in new york back in the 90s mm-hmm. um i mean there's just too many fucking cases of bad cops out there so yeah a lot of cops are bastards i don't think that's a controversial statement but as soon as you go to all you lose support and i think that's the same problem with the blue lives matter movement where a lot of people that support cops, maybe good cops, maybe they have family members that are good cops, they think are good cops. I don't know if they're actually good cops, but they have family members, so they're going to be partial to their family members if they are cops. But with that being the automatic reaction, every time someone calls out some other cops for bad deeds, you're like, well, blue lives matter. So like all blue lives, I, okay, people lives matter, I guess, but this doesn't... Now, now you're just kind of pretty much just trying to smooth everything over because you know a couple good cops and therefore the whole system must be good. Mm-hmm. Just fucking stop. Just stop. I, I think most people are in the middle where they understand, yeah, there's bad cops and there's also maybe bad protesters out there that are actually rioting and shooting people and there's been cops shot through these protests. Like, can we just stop with those all statements? I feel like that's the biggest problem. And even like the whole thing of all lives matter, you know, I, I do not really like that uh, because it's yes, always in response to somebody bringing up police brutality. I mean, of course, all lives matter. You know, we don't want people dead. Yes. No one wants people dead. But what is more important? Hitler right wanted now? people dead. Well, I'm saying in the modern times. That's why all statements are bad. Exactly. Um, but, you know, uh, you can't you can't use that statement when there is a particular sect of the population that's being targeted. Yes. You, you just can't you can't, you can't just like you know pour some water over that burn saying like no no all lives matter. Yes, so it's it's kind of a petty disagreement, and then this is where I'll do the devil's advocate, and. I, I somewhat sympathize with this. I, I feel sometimes when we're talking about police brutality, it gets characterized as it's simply just a... That police brutality is simply an African-American issue. All the while, you, some of these same people that bring up Blue Lives Matter, this is kind of ironic, will also share counterexamples of, say, like white people or mentally ill people or people of other demographics that are also being victimized by police brutality. So it's, this isn't even congruent with their whole arguments of blue lives matter or supporting the police. And, mm-hmm. But I feel like that would be solved if the people that are trying to push like black lives matter, that's fine. But just trying to widen that umbrella a little bit, like, yes, there's a lot of police brutality. It's not just against black people. It's probably primarily against black people, but there's still a lot of black or white people that get killed by the police. 
So a lot of white people that get brutalized by the police, do they not? Do they get pulled over as much as black people? No. But we welcome you into this umbrella because we want to fight against the same thing. Why not let these people into this umbrella? Yeah. But these these we just paint everything with this big ass brush, and people get defensive. I mean, you know, I I see why they're saying Black Lives Matter, though. You know, because it has been so long that you know they have been marginalized. Uh, it's like now is their time that they are they are kind of owning this time, saying that we are not we are we are exclusively talking about our people. We are concerned about our people. I mean, we uh, I'm sure they understand that police brutality pans across a large spectrum of the demographic, but they are mostly concerned about their people because they have been subjected to a lot of brutality over the past however many decades. Fucking centuries. Centuries, right. So I, I get it. They, they, don't wa- they want the light to shine on them for now, for this. this so change can actually impact their communities. Yes, properly. so they are, they are like, we, want, we do not want to include all the other stuff right now because yes. the spotlight is on us and we want change happening I agree. for us. And that's why it's just Black Lives Matter. It's not All Lives yeah. Matter. No, I'm not, dis- I'm not disagreeing with that yeah. point at all. I'm just saying when the dialogue comes up talking about police brutality... I'll often hear it's not so much about the Black Lives Matter part of it, but they describe it like whether they're using the phrase like white privilege, how white people never have to face a lot of the same things black people. Of course they don't. They they don't. However, it's statistically true that, yes, there are a number, quite a few. I was even seeing one statistic, at least for like violent crimes, people being pulled over. About one in three or one in four black people get killed. Uh I forgot. No, I'm forgetting the number, but it was actually fairly close for white people and black people for people being arrested or arraigned uh, by cops for a violent offense. Like, I don't know what all the scenarios were, but it's a lot. There's a lot of people dying, especially when you're hearing stories of like Norway or these European countries where they haven't killed anyone in 10 years. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that this is happening every fucking year in this country I don't think it hurts to talk about police brutality as a whole. Mm-hmm. However, it is definitely hyper-focused in the black community, in the cities. That definitely needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I will say it was very heartbreaking to see that video you showed me mm-hmm. uh, yesterday of the parents talking to their kids about how to approach uh, the police when they're pulling you over, making sure that your hands are in plain sight and don't get lippy with the cop because that might give them reason to rip you out of the car and who knows what else uh, that's something I never have to deal with and that's absolutely uh, probably almost exclusive to the black community that I think is very important that's being discussed and brought up more now I've talked with so many of the black folks that I know and they all have had the talk with yeah. their kids this is <laughs> something I think would be very important i know i hope i hope this dialogue would happen but seeing more white people white folks actually just sitting down and listening especially from the rural areas hearing these stories mm-hmm. and maybe getting a better understanding of what it's like to be black in any in probably more so in the inner cities what it's like just dealing with that on a day-to-day basis things that we would never have to ever think about 
getting into a car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like what that does to your psyche. Yeah. Like it's, I'm, I'm sure their stress receptors are on overload. When that's why cops and that's why they are paranoid and they are yeah. they are always on the edge because they don't know when the next bad thing is going to happen to them be it from like the violence within the community or violence outside of the community yeah i don't know this last uh counter argue i don't want to say what counter argument or counter just something some other information i know gets brought up when talking about black lives matter as they often talk about exclusively police on black people crime, mm-hmm. like police brutality. And I'll often hear from conservatives, primarily in my news feed, like, what about black on black crime? What about that? And the fact that those rates are much higher than really any other demographic. Like, fair enough. We should probably talk about that. How can we reduce those rates in the cities? Like, what's causing these rates of violence? Is it from years of oppression, decades of oppression in the communities where we tear down businesses or like Black Wall Street where you have a bunch of angry white people that go and burn down these communities? What is it? I don't know. It's like a dog-eat-dog world, you know, because they are so limited in their opportunities and resources. They're fighting to get up top. And the reason why we see so much violence in that community is because there's there's this um, lack of, uh, I, I guess, uh, it's more about I want to get, uh, I, mean, I, I want to be better than you in some way, or I want to have something more than you, or, you know, and it's because they have been lacking in these uh, resources for a long, long time. It's, that's why it's more of like, you know, uh, you become hyper-focused on yourself and your own immediate needs rather than uh, the community as a whole. There, I mean, now I'm seeing a lot of black people actually talking about community and how they can build Rebuild the community. It. Yes, yeah. but you know, initially it was more like, I'm better off than you. It's like the, it's like a twisted version of uh, keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. Instead of a cute little suburban neighborhood, you're living in some poor, pretty much a poor neighborhood, and you're just trying to do whatever you can to better your lot. And the only people you have to compare yourself with are, I guess, your neighbors. Yeah. People in your community. Now, I, I have a couple theory, I shouldn't say theories, hypotheses as to maybe what contributes to the rates of violence. I mean, firstly, probably just the sheer amount of people. I'm sure population density wise is a hell of a lot more dense in maybe part neighborhoods in Brooklyn and Bronx than they are in maybe upscale Manhattan. Like there's just smaller apartments, you got more people per square mile. That's a problem. Um, and then they obviously have the fact that these neighborhoods aren't running afloat with a ton of money. Like they're they're scraping by, they're getting government help here and there but it's really not that much uh from what you were telling me from like your, some of your inside resources uh the schools are depressing as hell like they don't they barely have any basic resources and that sounds like a far cry from what i grew up with i wouldn't say my school was a heavily funded school but we certainly had more than enough like we had our books we had calculators we had a 
pretty good teachers. Uh, it was safe. In fact, I also heard that a lot of these kids go to school just for the 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 meals that they get, the free food that they get. That's their only sole motivation to go to school because nothing else really matters. Yeah. This makes me... So are they coming from homeless situations or just Not like broken just, homes? Just or? broken homes, you know, yeah. living on assistance, hardly getting food. So that's like their source of food for the day. It's like, where are the food stamps going? Like it's just sad. Also, you know, if you're living, I mean, you can definitely attest for this. You know, you come from a rural area where, where like the economy is really Shit. suffering, right? Yeah. Tell me the, the, the drug usage yeah. in that place. Tell me how Bad. many people are addicted to even smoking yeah. or drinking, you know. Selling so their food stamps for other shit or so this buying is people's shit and exactly. they exchange it. This is what happens yeah. here as well. Like, you know, if you know that there is no way out, this is your life. This is what you have to do for the rest of your life. You're fucking depressed. And what you're going to do is get into drugs Go drink, smoke. Like cultural decay. Yeah. There is no, no hope. No. There is no hope to get out of this. And we, we know this statistically. If you are on welfare, it takes at least three generations to get out of it. If you're going to go, you know, you've positive reinforcement and actual education, it will take you three generations. Yeah. And that's another element to this conversation that I don't think gets really discussed. But, you know, the psychology of dependence. I mean, I've seen it with my own folks and people in my community where they're on disability or Social Security or some other sort of form of welfare, uh, whether justified or not, but just the change in mentality that occurs. It's really depressing to see. It's like the person that you used to know isn't quite there anymore. And they lose any sort of confidence yeah and self-dependency they're like i am worth nothing i need this to survive you know so that you you become less of a human being and i guess like in a way you become inhuman so do you it? feel like less of a human being would probably be a better way yeah, to put yeah, it. It's you, not like you're any less. No, you're not less. But like you, the way you perceive yourself. Yeah, it's like, oh, what, what am I doing? I'm doing yeah. nothing. You know, I'm not even contributing to anything. It's just a way for me to survive. I think this is also a danger with like UBI. But to a lesser, UBI would be slightly less. But with welfare and uh, disability and whatnot, you also have the social stigma of being a welfare recipient and I'm sure that weighs on everybody that has this whether they acknowledge it or not it's there people look at you a little differently if you pull out that access card at the grocery store um, it's sad but it's true and I I don't know what the hell the solution is we, we've talked a little bit previously about uh, maybe trying to encourage some people in these poorer communities to consider moving and if we could provide some financial incentives to move to other parts of the country that don't cost nearly as much and maybe their standard of living can increase dramatically. The other issue that I know about this is uh, a lot of these inner city people are very scared to move out of their neighborhoods because yeah. that is the normal that they know. That is, that is familiar. The life around the hood is familiar. 
and moving, uprooting yourself from the, this situation and going to a different place, they are terrified. And it has been like, I think it's like the centuries of racism that has kind of, you know, existed in this, in this country where black people are very scared of going to smaller towns, um, white majority neighborhoods, because they are scared that their kids are going to be subjected to active racism and they would be, you know, discriminated against. They're, it's just like what happens when you're, when you're just surrounded by yeah. the echo chamber. You don't know. You don't know. Life can be different. Yeah. And two things there. Uh, I can't speak for the southern states and maybe other wonderful places to live for black people. I can't. Uh, but I'm fairly certain in northern states, whatever racism that you face would be far inferior compared to the daily racism you probably face by the NYPD, by the local law enforcement institutions, by just the general poverty that you're entrapped within, within your own community. Uh, What's the word for, uh, like, when you got rich people moving in? Gentrification. Yeah, you got a little bit of that. That's something I've never even knew of prior to moving to a city. Uh, Generally, we encouraged back in rural areas rich people to move in because we have plenty of property for them to move into. It's not really going to affect the rest of us property value-wise, but in the cities, it seems to be quite an impact. Uh, So I'm not saying it'll be perfect. You'll probably have some asshats. You probably guarantee there's going to be some asshats. But from at least from what I've seen, personal experience-wise, there have been a lot of change in mentalities in the rural areas. And you've said this before. I think rural area, people in rural areas have been scapegoated for being some of the biggest racists in the country for decades and probably have become much more self-conscious on that front than people in the cities, which, as we've seen, racism also exists. But at least in the rural areas, they know of the trope and are probably less likely to enact the trope just for the sake of not wanting to be that trope. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, if I'm wrong, please send us a message. Please tell me I'm an asshole and an idiot for even suggesting that if you did decide to make the move. But uh, I really want to hear from black people living in rural areas. Like if you can reach out to us, if you're, if you're listening to this podcast, and if you can reach out to us and let us know about your experiences, you know, what you have faced in these areas. Are there good stories? Are there bad stories? What kind of, you know, uh, experiences you've had? We would love, love to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, now tell me if I'm wrong, but from what a lot of I've seen, even if there is a little bit of racism, like some closeted racism or passive racism or whatever you want to call it. I've seen so many people that have been just simply impressed if like you just come in with the hard work ethic and you don't really have a chip on your shoulder. You're just, I guess, just trying to prove yourself to show that you fit into the community. More times than not, people will accept you after that point, even if they feel a little suspicious initially. Because let's face it, a lot of these communities don't have any people of color let alone black people. And even when they do, it's maybe the one random one that everyone knows. Uh, Just the nature of things. But maybe that'll change in 50 years. Maybe these communities will become more diverse just because these cities are 
overblown with people and living standards are garbage and I don't know. Maybe the hidden secret will be finally released and people realize how much nicer it is to be around nature and mountains and rivers and go fishing and hiking and canoeing and wherever nature area that you're living in. Snowboarding if you're out in Utah. See, I think the only issue would be, I think, it's just the initial phase of moving in. Especially if you're coming in without any kind of acquaintances yeah. in the neighborhood. You know, that's where you get these looks like, who the fuck is this person? You know, who are these people? Like, they don't look like us. But if you have acquaintances, I feel it's a lot easier, a smoother transition. Then you have yeah. friends already. And I think that's going to be a little bit of a problem for a lot of inner city people moving out. Uh, hey, but with Facebook and the internet, I'm sure a lot of people have friends all over the place. That could be your in. Yeah. How did we meet? Yeah, true. That, that, that could be the in for a lot of people. Could yeah. be a gaming friend. Maybe you're just looking for a start somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm I'm in no position to compare my experiences to, you know, a black person, uh, but I'm also a person of color, though I'm not like too much of a color. But and I'm no color. You're no, <laughs> no color. I'm I'm like semi color, uh, you know. I mean, uh, of course, I'm brown. You're like a nice tan. People actually compliment. It's like, how did you get your skin color? It's like, I was born with it. So whatever, you know. I mean, definitely. Yeah. I'm not. You know, I, I, I guess I, I, I'm still a person of color. Uh, and I lived in the small-ass town for, uh, I guess, 600 six, people. six months. Yeah, which has, which has 600 people. Did I get looks? Yes. Of course, I did get looks. And it was very uncomfortable. Uh, but did I face any kind of active racism? Nope. Nope, not at all. You know, um I were I was complimented on how pretty I am or you know oh your skin is great your skin color is great and oh I like your dress I like what you're wearing I had a freaking yoga class <laughs> I had a yoga class in a in the in the back of a gas station where I had what I had what like 10, 10, 12 people attending my yoga class. At one point, yeah. And it was it, it was very insane that For people a would months, I think you did that, that people would come to my class. Um, An outsider. Yeah, but also I had the acquaintances, right? I had I had my husband. I had my in-laws who knew me. I had my husband's friends who knew me. Yeah. So oh, we got you thoroughly entangled into the community pretty quickly. And we used to always go out for a lot of coffee and other stuff of our local restaurants. So I kind of became a known face around. Yeah. And I think that kind of and also I'm a woman. Obviously, I'm not as intimidating, you know, so I think it was OK. Yeah. So I would say a lot of the looks I noticed that you're talking about, or at least when I was with you, that when you were getting it looks, wasn't about suspicion though. I don't think it's like it curiosity. Was, yeah, like, it was who like the fuck who, is that? Who is she? Why is she yeah. here? Yeah, and also 
you brought up a good, an interesting point. It's like you need an insider to make the community accept you. Where else does that apply? Where else does it apply? Yeah. Can you think of any other situations in which that applies and makes things a lot easier for the community I, to accept somebody? I don't know. Jobs? I don't know. I was just thinking, just for the people that I'm, we're trying to persuade into considering moving to other parts of the country, think of those communities. When I went and visited my friend in Newark, mm -hmm. and she knew a lot of people there. I wouldn't say I, I wasn't there long enough for the community to accept me. But they didn't fuck with me when uh, her dad was with us. Mm -hmm. And I can see, I mean, communities that are insular, like small towns, mm -hmm. they do look at out, outsiders with suspicion. But it's not always malicious. Mm -hmm. And I think we just need to be cautious to, for confusing suspicion with malice uh -huh. or suspicion with active racism. Just because someone's giving you a look doesn't mean they're necessarily like, get the fuck out of my town. It could be like, who's that? Like, they're just more, it's like they don't see that every day. And mm -hmm. maybe they'll love talking to you and you'll love talking to them. And one thing I, I have noticed from my experience, and I'm sure this is not the experience for everyone, but if you approach anyone with a smile on your face and a friendly disposition, hmm. More often than the you know than not, you would be greeted with the same warmth. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. Um, it's a tough dialogue because I, I'm sure Sukanya will agree with me. Uh, this is a major problem in India as well. Black men probably have it the worst around the world as far as being treated with suspicion and disregard and spite and what other whatever other negative connotation that could be acquainted with uh, seeing somebody in public See, the so that would be I think the biggest hurdle and the biggest test to our theory here so if a black man can move to say to like my small town and earn enough friends or win over enough people that maybe even if they were suspicious uh, maybe we'll become actually very good friends. So I, I did meet this guy at the YMCA when we were in Jamestown and, you know, I was working out uh, and he told me that he had gone to Tirud and he felt very unsafe because people were very unfriendly. But it was also like 30 years ago. Yeah, I, I can believe that then. You I know? can definitely believe that then. And he said after that, he's never he, he's a, he was a social worker. So he okay. said after that, he never really, he actually stopped. He said he stopped by the town to get a lunch or something. And he was told to fuck off um, like 30 years ago. But after that, he said he never actually ever stopped in any place to, uh, you know, buy something or he would just go straight and do his caseload and come back and stuff like that. That's but awful. yeah, yeah. But he said that he was very fortunate to move to the other place that I was talking about, Jamestown, because it was a little bit more diverse and yeah. he felt comfortable. Now, it's not that this man was, you know, ghetto looking or anything. He no. is a very well-dressed man, yeah. you know, very well-spoken. There were definitely much, many more racist, out, outward racist back then because there was no one out there to confront them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, 
If I could share an, a, another anecdote about Tidyut that was a little more recent. I had some friends. Uh, some of them had moved up from Pittsburgh. And uh, the one was a bartender at a local bar. And I don't know who the guy was or who he came in with. I think he came in with a local. But he was a businessman, a black businessman. Probably, middle, probably in his 40s, 30s or 40s. Anyways, so he's in the bar. And most of the people in the bar didn't pay any mind to him. It's like just another patron. doesn't matter. But there was that one asshole that pretty much dropped a hey n-word that kind of thing was being a real jerk to him pushed it was like what the fuck do you think we're doing in our town all that shit probably close on the accent there <laughs> just being a real piece of shit and uh the gentleman i don't know how he responded i believe he was just calm about it it's like hey look i don't want any trouble i'm just here to have a drink it's not a problem and i think the bartender i was speaking of overheard it and she got fucking pissed she grabbed, she grabbed the guy that started saying that shit to the black man, kicked his ass out of the bar, and just told the black, pretty much the black guy that was there, the businessman, it's like, hey, you're welcome here at our bar. Don't mind him. Like, he's a piece of shit. Like, don't worry about that. We got you. We got your back. So I just share that to just hopefully spread the message that things have changed. There have been a lot more people moving around, better ideas moving into these smaller communities. It's not just... It's insular white racist bubbles anymore. And I feel a lot of younger people are way more accepting. Yeah. And they're they're open and they don't they... give a shit about this stuff. No. No, it's mostly in the older communities, you know, they have yeah. these prejudices and biases because, you know, it was during their times, it was things were different and things <sighs> were better and things were That was the fucking generation that was perfectly okay with having two different water fountains for white people and colored people. What the fucking fuck? And Jesus. We still hear God. the term colored people oh. all the time. We still hear it. Oh. And they say, oh, oh, that colored person. Like, well, what do you mean by colored person? What the fuck does that even mean? You're colored. Everyone's like, colored. You're colored. Col- I see pink on your skin tone. Like, you're colored. You're pink. Goddamn right. Like, it's stupid. It's, it's all fucking stupid. Racism is stupid. I saw this great, <laughs> I saw this great meme. Someone holding the sign it says, "Racism is just little dick energy." <laughs> Bunch of insecure motherfuckers who think that they feel insecure about themselves, so then they want to put their foot down on someone else. It's stupid. It's, it's just about feeling better about yourself yeah. because you're a piece of shit and you want to feel better about you. You're like a loser in your real life, and you want to feel better about yourself. Fuck so, off, dude. so you kind of want to trample on someone else. Yeah. For the record, I don't think anyone should be trampling on anyone else. That's, Fuck no. No. Fuck no. But, yeah. But that was a pretty good conversation. We didn't even talk about the protests, really. Uh, just briefly go over these real quick. I'm hopeful. I don't need to regurgitate all the stuff that's going on at the protests because I'm sure people are well aware. But I am hopeful, and I was hopeful at the beginning of these, at the uniformity of the response, more or less. There are some shitheads that are still saying blue lives matter and pretty much ignoring all the shit the cops are doing. But the fact that bills are being brought to the table to end uh, qualified immunity, I think it was called, for mm-hmm. cops, mm-hmm. that protects cops against pretty much any of their brutal actions. Uh, it seems like far more people are willing to recognize 
the extent of police brutality. You have people up in Minnesota suggesting that we should dissolve the police force. I don't know if that's going to be the ultimate solution, but uh, just like what I was reading with uh, Camden, I think it was Camden, New Jersey. They did that about 10 years ago. They just fired everybody in the police force. They just cleaned house, started from scratch, and apparently things are at least slightly better. Uh, You can't fix a community with a crooked police force. You can't do it. And you have the cops fucking busting people for cocaine and then turn around selling the cocaine for a fourth of the price. What the fuck are you doing? You're just reintroducing drugs back into the same community. Yeah. It's It doesn't work. And then yeah. there's no trust with the police. The people in the community should be able to trust their police. And otherwise, what's the point in having them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, how many things don't get called in these smaller communities because they're terrified of someone getting unintentionally killed? Yeah. A lot of domestic violence cases are never reported because of that. Yeah. But I am hopeful. I'm, I'm hopeful that there will be some positive changes. And I think now with Trump's recent actions, to gas a bunch of peaceful protesters in D.C. just to get a fucking photo op with this stupid-ass Bible. He was holding that upside down, by the way. Sure. <laughs> okay, he's just sure. waving a shit. The fact that he did that, I'm hopeful now... That people, just through his four years of being a president, people are going to be much more aware and cautious about just granting presidents unlimited power going forward. I'm hopeful that that'll be the case. Am I expecting that? No. But I'm hopeful. Because we're seeing a real-life shitty example of why you shouldn't do that. Uh, You know... I don't know. George Floyd's death definitely brought the police brutality to the forefront but one thing we should definitely also mention is the death of Breonna Taylor yeah Breonna Taylor she was sleeping in her own apartment wasn't her husband her boyfriend boyfriend was suspected of drugs or supplying the drug dealer there was someone else that was like a couple blocks away that was suspected they were already in custody yes the police had the wrong address they thought he was tied into it too Police had the wrong address, yeah. uh, wrong tip, came in Fucking shot him. without any warrant, broke into the apartment. And obviously this guy, he's scared that someone's breaking into his apartment. Could be some local gang members. He didn't even know. shoot. He had his gun out. Yeah. Oh, they shot him, what, like dozens he, of times? He, he didn't die, but Brianna died. Because she came out of the bedroom, like, scared, Uh and they shot her 12 Uh, times. How many bullets do you need to take down an unarmed woman running out of a bedroom? Seriously, what the fuck are they doing? They killed an innocent civilian without any warrant. And, you know, the police have been doing that for years now, unfortunately. It's sad. It's taking this long. But that people. that crime was not brought into the media. No. That's the craziest thing because it was not recorded. No. Since it wasn't recorded, it wasn't being even given any sort of highlights. I have been seeing more people covering it finally now. Now, yes. Now, because probably of George Floyd and people are like, hey, remember Breonna Taylor? Yeah. That was even more unjustified than, I mean, they literally had nothing to do with the crime. No. I mean, George Floyd, they could say, well, he still had a fucking he had, yeah, he has counterfeit this. point dollar bill. That's why he died. It's like, fuck off, dude. They're sleeping. Yeah. 
That's uh, for the record, anyone listening, if they want to look more into this, these are called no-knock raids. SWAT teams and police forces have been doing these, I don't know how long, but apparently they're legal. They shouldn't be legal. Uh, they're not legal, but they've been doing them and they haven't been challenged. They are a direct violation of the Fourth Amendment. And please, if you know of any of these happening, send them to the ACLU or whatever. We need to, we need to end these. These are bad. They're very bad. It's like some fucking Gestapo Nazi shit. And they're just barging into houses and just just like that because I can. Yeah. Not good. But the fact that these issues are finally, finally being addressed. I remember watching shitty conspiracy videos back in like the late 2000s, early 2010s, and people were bringing this stuff up. And Normie's out the computer. So yeah, that's just... Nah. Nah, that's not a problem. You're exaggerating. That's not a thing. Look in your news. Yeah. I mean... Oh, the police aren't going to turn on the people? Look what's happening now. Hey, uh, Second Amendment supporters. The police is tyranny. The government's acting tyrannically. What are you doing about it? Oh, you're happy because you can get a haircut now. But God forbid peaceful protesters get fucking fire blasted by the police and by Trump just to get a fucking photo op. Where are you? You're out there defending them. You're licking the boots with your tongue each and every crevice. All the fucking dog shit they stepped in just to go out and push the protesters out of the way. Fuck you. I'm sorry. This is ridiculous. Hypocrites. Just stop being hypocrites. Everybody in the political sphere. Just stop being a hypocrite. Have some principles, and maybe we can make some progress on these issues. Please. Please. I respect libertarians because they're not fucking bootlicking Trump over here. They're actually calling him out on this shit, too. Yep. Yep. It's sad that, you know, people had to die, and people had to be injured and hurt and jailed uh, to bring this concern into the spotlight. And I'm just happy that it is out here, out in the open. I hope the media doesn't jump onto the next, you know, attractive story. No. I'm, I'm hoping this thing continues until we see a positive change. Um, but one can just be hopeful, right? Yeah. I'll, I'll just say last point on the media. If they didn't play the boy who cried wolf for the last four fucking years, chasing nothing, the Russiagate bullshit... And uh, what the hell is it? The the one story about Trump be, like being pissed on or something in Russia. The golden shower. I, I'm forgetting who. Uh, th- there's just been so many bullshit stories that were not even actual stories, but they fucking ran it into the ground. I'm talking to you, MSNBC, especially, especially Rachel Maddow. You guys were turning every single fucking potential story it wasn't even actual stories potential stories into these magnificent disasters so when there's an actual disaster taking place like right now when you have trump acting more like an authoritarian than he ever has he wasn't previously he said some authoritarian shit but he wasn't really doing it the worst thing i think he said he's talking about the press or talk, calling them dogs and shit but anyways they were freaking the fuck out for the last four years. Mm-hmm. And the point in which we actually need people to listen to the media right now, they aren't because they don't listen. They don't like them. Mm-hmm. They don't respect them. They don't trust them. Yep. So the media, you guys failed. 
failed miserably. Yep. And you failed when Obama's in office and you didn't call out his shit properly. Yep. That's where that's where I think principal journalism comes into play. Where the media should be unbiased. They should just be reporting stuff that is happening. As much as possible. Unbiased yes. is impossible, but at least even if you're going to be biased, be upfront about it. Don't hide it behind the veil of objectivism. Call it to say, hey, I like this candidate, so you know where my perspective is coming from. Yeah. I mean, Fox doesn't really hide their bias. I know they say, was well, it fair and balanced, but everyone knows they're right wing. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe their supporters don't. But I don't know. That that's something that Olson he's fixed mightily. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, on a happy note, thank you for listening. It's been wonderful speaking to you guys again. Drinking our uh, Leinen Kugels, Leinen Kugels. That's not even German. Is that a Native American at the top of the bottle? Yep. Where's that from? Milwaukee. Same ones that do uh, probably Paps. For all their other shitty beer. Milwaukee makes every single beer in the world. Does. But anyways. Well, thank you for tuning in. Thank, thank you, for, you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. To our podcast. Okay. Uh, stick to your day job, DJ. It's Ember Dialogues. It's Ember almost in tune this is episode 008 I hope you turn in for next week or the week afters whenever the next episode actually is trying to stay on a weekly-ish schedule weekly or bi-weekly 009 not sure what that'll be about but the way shit's been going on we'll have plenty of content to talk about uh, but yeah, thank you for listening Signing next off. Time. Bye bye. Stay well. I'm cashing out right now. I'm cashing out. I'm cashing out.